as I mentioned, uh, this is the very first week of uh, this series that uh, we're calling Coming to Grips. And uh, about a year ago, almost exactly a year ago, I uh, lost my dad. And uh, that got me thinking a lot about what the Bible has to say uh, about death and uh, the hope that we have in the midst of death. And uh, so we decided to uh, do a series uh, about death on Easter Sunday. <laughs> and I made sure to pass that idea through a few people before we decided to do that. But uh, we want to contrast. Um, well, I just want to tell you some things today uh, about death that, uh, that from the Bible that I think will be an encouragement to you, that I think will help you. And then I really want to invite you back to join us uh, for all of the four weeks of this series as we tackle uh, things like grief and how to grieve and uh, what does the Bible say about kind of afterlife issues and things like that. So it's a very significant series, and we hope that you'll join us uh, each week for the next four weeks. Uh, the first thing, though, that I want to say to you is, um, is that death, death really sucks. Can I get an amen about that? Uh, Death really sucks. My, my first exposure to death was when my cat died uh, when, I was, when I was young. And uh, our, our cat's name was, was Mama Kitty uh, because she was perpetually pregnant. And uh, I've got all kinds of jokes that I could tell about that, but it's probably not appropriate for the pulpit. Um, and so we just called her Mama Kitty and, uh, because she was just all the time having kittens. She obviously was an outside and inside cat. And uh, she was a great cat. Uh, she would climb out the bedroom, our bedroom windows and uh, like get on the roof. And then, like I don't know if she thought she was a bird, but she would gather sticks and bring them into the house and make like little nests. And so we just thought this was a great cat, you know. And uh, one day when we came home, we, we saw Mama Kitty's body uh, lying in the road. She had been run over uh, by a car. And uh, that was my first experience with death. And I remember as a kid... Uh, something saying inside of my spirit, there's something that's just not right about this. There's something that's just not right about this. Uh, two years ago, um, my grandmother died, uh, and it was the first funeral that I helped perform as a minister was my uh, grandma's funeral. And then the second funeral that I helped with as a minister was my dad's funeral, my father's funeral. And uh, as I said, his death was is really the the... Uh, catalyst for this series and the exploration that we're going to do. Uh, but what I came to realize in, in light of my father's death is, is this, uh, that we don't really know what to do with death, right? I mean, maybe you've experienced it. We, we tried to illustrate that here this morning, that, that by and large, we don't really know what to do with this thing called death. Uh, maybe you have lost a loved one very recently, or maybe you can remember when you did lose a loved one that people would avoid you uh, because they didn't want to say the wrong thing. And so uh, these people that were really close friends with you, uh, you experienced this loss. And in the moment when you need them the most, for fear that they'll say something wrong or they'll remind you of the lost one, the, the one that you've lost, then, then they just avoid you because they don't want to say the wrong thing. Maybe you've had that experience. Maybe, maybe you've had the opposite of that experience and people smother you uh, with, with all kinds of words of encouragement and uh, that maybe aren't encouraging at all. And uh, the reality is, is that all of us, this is a universal experience, all of us must come to grips with the loss of a loved one. I want to begin this series and this talk here on Easter Sunday uh, from Paul's letter uh, 
to the Corinthians, to the church in Corinth. So if you have your Bible with you, uh, turn to uh, 1 Corinthians. Turn to 1 Corinthians. Uh, if you don't have your Bible with you, there should be a Bible somewhere in your zip code um, in, the, in the chairs there. Uh, and then if you have a smartphone and you have the Bible app with you uh, and, and on there, you can actually uh, load up a sermon outline on your phone. And, and the, ser- the scripture is right there. Uh, we want to provide that for you. And the great thing is you can follow along on the outline, but then you can add kind of your own thoughts and the way that the Lord is speaking to you uh, in that outline and then email it to yourself as a resource for, for safekeeping. Uh, but I want to, uh, I want to read to you uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And uh, this is really the most comprehensive passage about death and about the meaning of resurrection, and about the future hope uh, that we have as Christians uh, in all of Scripture. And I just want to, to read a portion of it to you uh, this morning. It's a very lengthy chapter and 50-some verses. Uh, don't worry, I won't read all 50 verses. Uh, but I do want to read a few verses to you this morning. Uh, and um, what I want to do is I want to give you three facts about death uh, from this passage of Scripture. I want to give you three facts Uh, And we don't do this very often in the church anymore, uh, but would you all stand in honor of the reading of God's word? I want to read 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, verses 20 through 28. Verses 20 through 28. It says this, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man... The resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn. Christ the firstfruits, and then when he comes, those who belong to him. And then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all the enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet, and now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that that does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. And when he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him, who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. And then it goes on to say, uh, in verse 54, the last part, death has been swallowed up in victory, So where, O death, is your victory? And where, O death, is your sting? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we um, pray that you would um, give us not only knowledge of your word, but would you give us application. And uh, God, as we explore this important subject, um, may it all be be framed and from the perspective uh, of your resurrection on this Easter day. And uh, Lord, we're thankful for your presence. We're thankful for new life. We're thankful for the new season of spring. And uh, God, we just give you praise on this wonderful day. And uh, would you be with us now as we study your word? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. One of the things that we've been told about death, and I think one of the misunderstandings that we have about this important subject, is that we've been told that death has always been here. Um, But that isn't entirely true. Uh, Death entered our world. It wasn't part of our world originally. I want to point us again to look at verse 21 that says, For since death came through one man. For since death came through one man. Well, who is the one man? Well, the one man is Adam, as in the Adam, like from the Garden of Eden, like way back when. 
for death came through one man, the one man Adam. Through disobedience to God, death entered our world. It wasn't originally part of the plan. And I think that we, we've come, become so accustomed to death, right? We, when when someone, uh, one of our loved ones dies, we say, you know, that's just how it is. That's just part of our world. And, and while that's true, we need to understand that death hasn't always been here. And that's critical to understand the, the hope that we have in the midst of death and loss, the truth and the fact that it hasn't always been here, that it was ushered into our world through disobedience to God. And so it was through disobedience and sin that death entered our world. The Bible confirms this in other places as well. For example, Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. In other words, Adam's sin, the sin of our original uh, human father, cost us something. Sin isn't just something that, that doesn't have a cost attached to it. It isn't something that you can just get by with free and loose. But when we disobey God, there's a cost associated with it. And, and we, we find that out in, in, in the very beginning where this disobedience ushered in this thing that we all now must deal with called death. Sin cost us something, and it ushered death into our world as a very unwelcome visitor. And now each and every one of us are touched by it in some way. And uh, to try to make sense of this, we have tamed death. Uh, We have tamed death down as though it always did belong in this world. Does that make sense? We say things like, time will, will heal your wounds. And, uh, Man, I think, it's, I think it's time that someone, speaking from a Christian perspective, just said the truth. And that is when you lose someone, that gap in your life will not be filled. That person is gone. And, and I know that some of you that have lost loved ones recently are like, finally somebody said it. Right? You know, oh, somebody else will come along and they'll fill that gap. You lost your dad. There'll be another father figure that comes in. No, there won't. I lost them. I lost them. And there isn't anybody that's going to come along and fill that gap. We've we've tamed death. Time will heal your wounds. You can just have another baby. Sorry about the miscarriage, but another one's coming along the way. Yeah, but that doesn't change the fact that I lost one. You can have another child. You can have another baby. Someone will replace. The gap will be filled. Sometimes we, we tame death by saying death is just a transition to a better life. Man, death isn't the end. It's just a transition. And again, there's some truth to that. But we have to realize that death does not belong. And all of these tame death and they normalize death as though it does belong. But in fact, death does not. How many of you know what an anachronism is? Oh, English, English. These are our English experts, okay? If you need to know where to place your comma, look around at the raised hands, okay? These are your English experts. An anachronism. An anachronism is this. It is a chronological inconsistency. In other words, it's something in a narrative or a story or a picture that simply doesn't belong. And you may not realize it, but all of you grew up with anachronisms, okay? For example, this picture. What is the chronological inconsistency in this picture? The Flintstones are watching TV. And they're sitting on a couch. 
And they have a pet dinosaur. The anachronisms just are out of control in the Flintstones. So even though you didn't know you knew what an anachronism is, you knew it, okay? You knew what that is. Um, How many of you saw The Hurt Locker? The Hurt Locker? Any fans? Rated R, war movie. I know I'm not supposed to say that. Uh, Okay, but you saw it. (laughs) He's one of those preachers. Okay. Cool. This church is awesome. Okay, it's a 2008 film. Uh, but it was set in the year 2004, and then one of the soldiers sees someone filming him in war, and the soldier says, he's getting ready to put me on YouTube. But YouTube didn't come out until 2005. Oh, very subtle, very subtle. But you all never caught it when you watched the movie. Why? Because we can't even imagine a world without YouTube, right? Some of you are like, that's the best thing he said all day. Okay? I know that some of you spend your late nights watching YouTube, all right? All those viral hits. Uh, you know, we, we hardly even notice it because the anachronism is, we just, it's just always been there, and so we have no idea that it shouldn't be there. Uh, I don't know if I should ask this next question. How many of you are Downton Abbey fans? Oh, oh. I'm, first of all, is your life that boring? Is it that boring? Did I? <laughs> I tried to watch five minutes of Downton Abbey and I fell asleep. I, I just couldn't handle it. It was just like watching Pride and Prejudice. If you need just a good sleep, just put that on. <laughs> Downton Abbey is full of anachronisms. It's like uh, it's like when Mr. Uh, Carson says, "I'm just saying," right? Right? Like. I mean, it's set in the early 1900s. People did not say in the early 1900s. I'm just saying. They didn't say that. So that's an anachronism. It's like, when, uh, it's like when Lord Graham says to the chauffeur, step on it. Okay, that's a modern saying, right? It's an anachronism that would never catch on. Okay, so some of you are fans, but you're like, don't dog on Downton Abbey. Okay, so I see that didn't go over very well. Uh, this is a famous picture. This is another famous picture. Um, You've got to look really closely, but there's all kinds of anachronisms. This picture has been... Um, Modified. Do you see one of the man smoking a cigarette holding a laptop? Okay. He's holding a laptop. And then there's a guy right next to him to the right. He doesn't have a shirt on. Uh, he's, got some, uh, he's got some Dr. Dre Beats audio headphones on. Right? It's, an, it's a chronological inconsistency. It doesn't belong in that picture. I, I wanted to do this. Um, you know the, the famous painting of the Lord's Supper? I was, I was studying all these anachronisms. And they said that there are some oranges in that picture. And the oranges didn't come over from Europe. Or, you know, like, like they didn't exist. Or they weren't there in that period of time yet. And they were like, the oranges in the painting, the Lord's Supper, is an anachronism. Because at the Lord's Supper, they didn't have oranges. So I, that's why I didn't use it. But then I decided to use it. But then I see that that doesn't make any sense. So work with me. Here's the point I want to make. Death is the ultimate anachronism. Right? If we're going to get a handle on what the Bible has to say about this important subject, we have to realize that death does not belong. It wasn't part of God's original plan. It was ushered into our world through disobedience. It's a chronological inconsistency. It doesn't belong here. And some of you might say, well, it doesn't belong here, but it's, it's here. Whether that guy should be wearing Dr. Dre headphones or not, he is. 
And whether the Flintstones should be watching TV or not, they are. And so what do we do? Well, just as death entered through one man, the second part of verse 21 concludes by saying the resurrection of the dead also comes through one man, and that is Jesus. That through Jesus and his resurrection, death is put in its proper place. Are you with me? Are you with me? But it's still here, so what do we do? Let me give you two more points, two more facts about death that I think will be an encouragement to you. The second one is this. First one, death does not belong. The second is death is an enemy. Death is an enemy. You know, in the face of death and trying to make sense of it, we often try to find ways to make what happened, um, whatever it was and however you lost your loved one, we try to make that and force that into being God's will. Have you heard that? How many of you, when you lost a loved one, perhaps tragically, were told, that's just God's will? That's just, that's just what God intended. Um, I want to say to you something that probably has not been said to you, but I want to proclaim to you that that isn't exactly the truth. That God didn't want that for you. Like a child dies in utero. It was God's will for you to walk through this. We saw this morning a gentleman and friends killed by drunk drivers and God did that in order to bring good out of it. Listen, death is not God's will. Can you... Do you hear me this morning? But here's the beauty. The beauty is that even though death isn't God's will, and even though God didn't intend for you to lose that person that way, that how, at that time, the beauty of God's sovereignty is not that he causes everything in the world to happen that's happening, but rather the beauty of God's sovereignty is that he can take whatever is happening and redeem it. That's the beauty and the power of God. The power of God is not that we're just all puppets on a stage and he's doing everything precisely as he intends. And, and so he's going to say, I'm going to take that person. I'm going to take that person. I'm going to, I'm going to cause this. I'm going, to, I'm going to direct that. No, that's not what God is doing. If, if death were, were not an enemy, it would not be, need to be defeated, right? If death weren't an enemy, we wouldn't need Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday proclaims that the enemy of death has been defeated by the resurrection, It's been replaced by life. And so when we try to squeeze death into somehow being God's will, we're not in line with God's will. We're not doing and we're not thinking as God would. God says in the midst of death, I want to provide you hope. I want to provide you peace. I want to comfort you with my presence. I didn't cause this. I didn't want it. But I'm right here in the midst of it to redeem it. Are you with me? This is the God that we serve. This is the beauty of Easter. The hope that we're celebrating today is that in the midst of these things, we can have this hope and this joy and this peace. If death was God's will, he wouldn't have to defeat it. The only death that was God's will was the death of his son, Jesus. Those of you who are familiar with Scripture, do you remember just before Jesus is 
getting, being crucified. Just before that, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's, he's praying, Lord, if there's any other way for, for salvation of the world to be accomplished, please can we do that? And yet, nevertheless, he concedes, not your will, not my will, but yours. And he marches to the cross to be crucified. The only death that is God's will is the death of his son, because it is through his death that all of us are given life. It is through his death and then the resurrection that death itself is defeated. And so we have to realize, first of all, that death does not belong. But second of all, we have to realize that death is an enemy. But you know what? Death does not just come at the moment when we take our last breath. The truth is is that death is an intruder in our lives that tries to steal the ways of life in us even right now. Even right now, death is trying to find its way into your life and into your heart. And that doesn't mean that it's going to make you stop breathing, but it does mean it's going to lead you to live in ways that ultimately lead to death. Remember, the wages of sin is death. And so if we're participating in things that are not in line with what God would want, if we're acting disobediently to God, we're we're allowing death that has been overcome in Christ to have a foothold in our lives. I want you to hear me today. Not because I'm mad at you, not because I want you to I'm make I'm here to make you feel guilty, but because I love you and God loves you and he wants the best for you and he has died so that you may have life. Death itself is an enemy, but so are the ways of death. Does this make sense? Death reaches into the lives of those who are physically alive. It, by way of, of cynicism and anger and unforgiveness, these things belong to death, and death does not belong. Some of you today are, are here, and you may be spiritually dead. You maybe grew up in the church, and you were doing the church thing, and, and, but then that one person said that one thing, and, and you allowed it to steal God's work in your life, and now you're spiritually dead. Or, 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 or maybe you, you tried to ask an honest question. Maybe you, were, you had some doubts about this Jesus thing. You asked an honest question, and then you, then you received a, 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 a pat answer, or, or, a, or a, uh, you received an unsatisfactory answer, and then you just sort of wrote the church off. You were like, I tried to be honest, but they weren't honest with me back, and so I, I won't go go back there again. I wrote it off. I I don't know what it is that that made you reject the church or reject Christ, but you're here today having grown up in the church, but now you're spiritually dead because you've allowed someone to rob your spiritual victory. You thought the church had all kinds of problems, so you walked away. And now you are surrounded by the community of God to encourage you and to lift you up, and God feels distant. Some of you maybe are emotionally dead. Where you're so numb emotionally that you can't feel pain or joy. You're emotionally dead so that these things come at you and you just, the world seems numb. And this plays out in two ways. It's either I'm so numb that I can't feel anything or the feeling is amplified where all I feel is despair or loneliness. I love Tara's testimony, you know, having fought depression and acting in that way. And, and then when she comes to a breaking point, she offers her life to Christ. And her testimony is, I was filled with a peace. And I experienced grace 
and a love that I couldn't find anywhere else. I had looked for it in all kinds of places. I had become numb, and yet in a moment, God made me alive. I hope that spoke to some of you today as it spoke to me. Because some of you may be in that same place. Doubting the goodness of God, doubting the grace of God. Not, not sure what to do about this church thing. You were hurt by the church, despised by the church. I don't know what it was, but you've become dead. Death has found its way into your life. You're still breathing. You're still going about doing your thing in the world, but death has found its grip on you. It creeps into our lives and it kills us slowly if we will allow it. I mean, if the enemy could just make you apathetic, if he could just make you angry, if he could just make you cynical, if he could just make you unforgiving, if he, if he, could, just, if he could just make that illness that you have begin and, and allow you to doubt the goodness of God, if he could take that thing that someone said in passing, and they didn't really mean it, but if he can make that go on repeat in your mind and begin to steal your confidence, then those are the ways in which death has a hold on our lives. And, and the good news of Easter and the good news of the gospel and the good news of Jesus is that he can take those, that way of death in our heart and in our lives and replace it with the life-giving grace and mercy and forgiveness and love and peace. These are the real powers of the world, church. These are the true life-giving ways to live. And it's not a generic spirituality. And it's not just sort of a higher power. It is God in Christ having given us new life because He is the resurrection and the life. Listen to me. Do you know that, that, that Christianity is unique to all world religions because of this reason and this reason alone? Either all other gods are still dead or they could never die. And so other world religions look at, look at Christianity and say, how could you let your king die? And Christianity proclaims it is the death of our king who has died for his people. And then all other world religions say, my God died, yours couldn't get up. And the Christianity says the evidence and the historical evidence is secure. Jesus died on our behalf and got up from the grave. We have a God who has both died on our behalf and then defeated death so that we may have life. So we're not talking this morning about a generic hope. We're not talking this morning about a generic spirituality. We're talking about Christ crucified and then resurrected. See, he wants, because of the life-giving power of the resurrection, he wants to enter into our lives and breathe new life into you and into me. That's good news, church. That's good news. God's word says that all of these things that belong to death have been defeated. In fact, they are, will be defeated and they are already being defeated. It's both this future reality and this present reality. See, sometimes we, we have a tendency to push hope all the way into the future and say that it will one day be like this. And that is so true. But may we also pull the future into the present and say that right now these life-giving things are available to us if we will place our faith in Christ. Because Christ has come to give us abundant life, a life of joy, forgiveness, and peace. Death itself is an enemy in our world, but the ways of death also creep into our lives.
So first, first, death does not belong. Second, death is an enemy. Death is an enemy. We must call it for what it is. For Easter would be unnecessary if death were a friend. And then thirdly, death is dying. Death is dying. Isn't that good news? And those of you who are like me and you've lost a loved one, isn't it good to know that God's promise is a world where death no longer exists? Oh, I thought for sure you'd be a little more excited than that. (laughs) Death itself is dying. Death itself is dying. You see, there's hope in the gospel. Death, while still present in our world, is already defeated and already being defeated. Death itself is living on borrowed time. A day will come and is coming when death will be no longer. I want you to imagine with me a a, a line, like a a timeline, a chronological timeline, where we begin with creation, and then we have the fall that entered death into the world. And, And through this disobedience, through this sin, death entered the world, and the effects of death have been brought all the way over to where the kingdom of God comes fully in the end. Are you imagining it in your mind with me? We have creation, we have the fall, the effects of the fall is death, and death has reached across all of time to the very kingdom of God. And yet, what we have also along the timeline is the the coming of the Son of God who died for us and was resurrected. And so our next dot along the timeline is resurrection. And while the fall brought death, took death forward all the way to the kingdom, what the resurrection did is it brought the kingdom out back into the present for the resurrection. And so right now we live in this in-between time where death is still here and yet the kingdom of God is, full, is still present and it's bursting forth. And we, have, we live in sort of this old world. It's corrupt. It's, it, where, where death is such a reality, where we have sin running rampant. And yet at the very same time, we see evidence of how God is bursting forth this brand new world where death will no longer have its day and where life Rules. Are you with me now? This is the good news, church. That while in the midst of this broken world, we have the assurance based on the evidence of the new world that God is bringing forth. Death does not belong. Death is an enemy. And death is Dying. And this provides us tremendous hope in the face of loss. What if we were to believe that this life is all there is? That death has the final word? Then what in the world do we say in the face of the difficulty of losing a loved one? What if we were to say that hope is something that is delegated and relegated only to the future? It's in the beauty of the gospel. It's in the beauty of of Paul's words where death came through one man and yet the resurrection also comes through one man. Christ is the first fruits that we may all enjoy 
all who are, have placed their faith in Christ may enjoy resurrection into God's new world. You see, we have to hold the two together or our hope is stolen. And if we don't hold the two together and if we don't see death for what it really is, then we try to shove everything into being God's will and we try to shove everything into being precisely what God intended. But God is a God who redeems that which is broken. And so we have in our lives this fact that we must deal with death that still lingers and the ways of death that are still present, sometimes even in ourselves. And yet we hold that up and we call it for what it is. This is an enemy. This is not what God wants. And yet the provision of the cross and resurrection of Christ is that he wants to swallow that up in victory and in life. That's the good news of Easter Sunday. That's the good news of the gospel. And I pray that your hearts would receive it today. You know, when Jesus was resurrected, I I said that it ushered in a brand new world called the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is much richer and much more profound than just going to heaven when you die. The, the cross and the resurrection of Jesus is not to get you a ticket on the bus to heaven, primarily. The cross and the resurrection of Jesus is to offer you hope and life right here, in the present, right now, based upon the certainty of what the future holds and God's new world. The kingdom of God is is God's new world that provides hope when we lose ones we love. His kingdom proclaims that a new world is coming and has already come. And the kingdom of God says that you don't have to weigh to live in ways that are in step with death, but you can go on living in life-giving ways. And the kingdom of God proclaims to all of us, and it says to our hearts that death itself is dying. So that when we lose a loved one, we can with quality and assurance and a foundation of faith say with great hope and great joy, it won't always be this way. It won't always be this way. You know, when my father died, after battling cancer for three years, and we got to view his body numerous times as the, as the family. As I looked at his body, lifeless, I was given tremendous hope and joy that there will come a day based on the certainty of what God has done where death itself will die, where it won't always be this way. But I have to tell you the truth. After all, I am a preacher. That these promises of God are given to those who will place their faith in Christ. They're given to those who proclaim that Christ is not only my Savior, but my Lord as well. 
And there's a difference between Jesus saying that Jesus is our Savior and our Lord. If we depend on Jesus as our Savior, we're just saying, Lord, keep me out of hell. But if we say that Jesus is our Savior and Lord, then we say, Lord, you are the Lord of my life. And I want to commit my ways to you. And every time that one of these ways of death sneaks into my heart and takes a hold, will you, through the power and conviction of the Holy Spirit, replace that with the life-giving grace and truth of God, that I might live in a way in the world that would reflect your love to other people. And so these promises are made available through faith in Christ. And I believe this morning that many of you are ready to make this decision of faith. Because what the resurrection ultimately does, and what the resurrection ultimately is, is an invitation. It's an invitation to begin living in God's kingdom and according to the ways of God's kingdom, both as beneficiaries that, that when we place our faith in Christ, there's, there's certain benefits that come to us in life in the kingdom of God, but also as participants and as workers, that it's a both and, that when we place our faith in Christ, we, we receive something, we receive, we, we receive new life in Christ, and yet at the very same time, He commissions us to go and, and also share the good news with other people. And we enter this kingdom. Through faith in Christ. Faith in Christ begins with a recognition that you have lived according to the ways of death. That you have allowed anger, unforgiveness to grip your heart. And again, we're not talking about a general spirituality when you may be a good person and a good moral person, but have you committed your life to Christ in faith? So faith begins with a recognition. Faith grows by believing this message that I've shared with you today, by believing the gospel. But believing is not simply just an intellectual agreement. Some of you might say, yes, I agree, or I believe that Jesus lived a good life. He died and he rose again. But you haven't placed your faith in him. See, believing is not just intellectual agreement. It's life Alignment. It's life alignment. Have you aligned your lives with this, these truths? I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. That he died to pay the penalty of sin. For the Bible says the wages or the cost of sin is death. And I believe that Jesus was resurrected to overcome death. That I may have life. If you believe this, are you ready this morning to align your life with these truths? Or are you going to allow another Easter Sunday to slip by where you did the church thing, did what you were supposed to do, and then left unchanged? Or are you going to not, are you going to move your intellectual agreement into life alignment? Faith begins with recognition. It grows by believing the message. And then faith continues through relationship with Christ the relationship with Christ. The relationship is begun and sustained through prayer. Prayer is our our lifeline to God. It's how we communicate and speak, and it's how He communicates with us. There are other ways that He can speak to us, but primarily it happens through the habit of prayer. And I believe that many of you today are ready to answer the invitation to place your faith 
in Christ. If that's you today, I'm not going to ask you to come forward or stand up or do anything awkward. I just want to ask you uh, to say a prayer in your heart. And then in a few moments, we're going to have some time to fill out our connection cards. If you pray the prayer that I'm about to lead you through and you're ready to receive Christ, uh, maybe it's for the very first time. Maybe, maybe today you just want to rededicate your life to Christ. Maybe you, want, maybe you said, you know, I, I was there and, and then I, I walked away or, or I became uncertain. I'm not sure exactly what happened or, or, or where it dropped off, but, but looking at it today, God seems distant and, and, and unaware and I can't feel his love or his presence. And you today just want to come back and rededicate your life to him. Whatever it is, first time decision or a rededication, I want to lead you in a prayer and then I want you to fill out a card. We're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to point you out. But I want you to be faithful to make this decision between you and God and then fill out the card so it becomes among you and the people that we might follow up with you, that we might enter into relationship with you. Because if, if, you, if you make a decision for Christ today, but don't allow us to come alongside of you in the process, the enemy will want to steal that life and that decision. And by Monday morning, you'll begin to doubt the decision that you made. You'll begin to wonder if you did the right thing. And we want to be there to encourage you. So lead you through a prayer and fill out a card. If you're here, let's all close our eyes or bow our heads and close our eyes. If you're here today and you want to make a decision for Christ, whether for the first time or to rededicate your life to him, would you repeat this prayer in your heart after me? Dear Lord, thank you for your presence in my life. I confess that I have sinned against you. Forgive me of my sin. And this morning... I give my life to you. Help me to experience your love, your grace, your mercy, and your forgiveness in my life. And I commit to living for you the rest of my life. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we, um, we thank you for those that have made that decision today. We thank you that you have worked in our lives and in our hearts during this service. And God, we want to, um, we want to celebrate new life. We want to celebrate the fact that you have uh, conquered death, that we look forward to a day where death will finally die, but we also recognize today that in the midst of, of death and loss, we can have great hope that you have provided for us. And so, Lord, I pray that all of us would experience that and that we might go and share it with others as we experience your love, your grace, your mercy, your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done here this morning. We give you thanks and we give you praise. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Emmaus Road Podcast. We hope this message has been encouraging to you. If you'd like to support the ministry of Emmaus Road, you can do so online. Just visit theroadfc.org and click Online Giving.